Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of What's the Plan, Monterey. This week, it's normal. It's not just me doing a soliloquy about the uh, council member or the, I'm sorry, the District 5 supervisor. Um, I, I, I wasn't really a debate. It was more of a discussion, but hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, more audio and uh, maybe visual uh, at some point, but I want to reintroduce my uh, lovely co-host, Mr. Dan Miller of uh, the famous PG Press. Now, now defunct, actually, isn't it, Dan? I think it's totally off. It's, I think it's totally defunct. The guy that bought it uh, folded after like two or three issues. Yeah. So, someone, if you got deep pockets out there, let's restart that thing. And then, of course, Mr. Mark Carbonero, who was on a windswept mountaintop last week. Yes, I was. Something. Yeah. Hey, Mark, you know, I had an interesting thought when I was thinking about you there. I was like, because Mark, he's not exactly long in the tooth, but he's not, you know, he's he's not a whippersnapper, right. as they say. And that's a dying art, fixing these radio towers and stuff. <laughs> who, who are you going to pass the torch on to, Mark? Well, actually, the guys, I don't climb them. Okay, I never have because I'm <laughs> I'm averse to those kinds of heights. But um, the guys that actually climb and do the work are are pretty young. They're in their twenties and thirties. And well, then perfect. if you if you never fall, by the time you get to your forties and fifties, that's when you um, you run the guide rope on the ground. You're the guy that stands down there and starts shouting stuff. Yeah, exactly. And these guys, they were only up about 75, 80 feet. But let me tell you what, you fall, you can fall from 20 feet and kill yourself. You can fall from 10 feet and kill yourself. So Yeah, do they use, do they use fall protection? Uh, well, they have, um, you know, they're wearing a climbing belt and some, you know, safety harnesses and so forth. But it's an amazing thing watching these guys work. With both their, you know, they've got their feet obviously touching the tower, you know, they're, they're, and they've got a climbing belt on and a safety harness, but they're working hands-free up there with both hands. And it's, mm. an, it's an amazing thing to watch. And boy, you got to have a lot of faith in your equipment. And I guess, you know, you have to also believe that that metal member that you are, um, you know, attached to isn't going to... Uh, you know, break off, you know, rust out and break off <laughs> and send you hurtling to your death, you know. So so, 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 so the next time we hear the uh, sweet melodic tones of uh, David Marzetti's voice on KMVY, we have Mark Carbonero to thank for yeah. that. Yeah, they, and, and I'll tell you what, they, they did a lot of work up there. We were up at uh, Alice Al Peak, which is over, um, it's a little bit below Fremont Peak. And it's south of Fremont Peak in the Gavilan Range. It's on the backside of the Bengard Ranch. And so there's a couple ranch roads that you drive back in through. And uh, this is pr pretty rural, rugged country where it's mostly just dirt and gravel all the way up there. And uh, when it's raining, you can't get up there, even with a four-wheel drive. You're not able to drive up to the top. So, uh, you, you know, this time of the year, it's tough to pick your spots to work. You have to wait till you get a couple of you know, sunny days in a row, and uh, with the wind and, and the sun, it dries out the road pretty quickly. But boy, when it rains, it gets really yucky. And, uh, and of course, there are no guide rails <laughs> on this road, and there are some sheer drops into ravines and canyons that, uh, you know, could make you a little nervous if you think about it too much, so... Well, and and there was two more slides on the uh, the highway, the, oh. the one highway, yeah, and highway uh, so I would imagine these 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 little mountain roads probably are, have their own little slides. Is I haven't seen any on this one yet, but I've I've 
the biggest thing that we end up with uh, when the trees were falling down was there would be pieces of trees in the road and you got to get out of your car and you want to be carrying uh, work gloves with you because you have to drag that stuff out of the way. You know, there, there is no mm-hmm. Caltrans work crew on a private ranch that's going to cl- come and clear that road for you. Kind of responsible for doing it yourself. You're, you're kind of a, a modern day Daniel Boone there. Yeah, Mark. You travel and you, you carry a shovel with you too. Yeah. Well, that was when I grew up in Colorado, we did that too, but that was usually because we would get stuck in the ditch uh, in the snowy roads. But uh, but I have uh, lots of stories this week. Um, uh, You know, everything from uh, from Pacific Grove uh, to big county issues, um, uh, the M. Jim Parkway, their uh, their traffic circles, and then of course the Highway 68 traffic circles. There's some interesting news on that. But I wanted to kind of begin with like a national news story uh, that focuses on California. So it's a state-level news story. But the reason it's kind of local is um, if anybody goes and enjoys the delicious sandwiches at Campagno's up there by the Palm, um, what what street is that, by the way? I That's can't. Taylor. Taylor and Prescott. Taylor Street, okay. Yeah, it's there. He has delicious. I I like the uh, the Coast Guard, even though I was in the Navy. The Coast Guard's great. It's a <laughs> it's a anyway. He makes great sandwiches. If you've ever gotten the chance, I think even Dust, Justin Bieber has been up there. So if the Bieb, if it's good enough for the Biebs, it's good enough for me. And uh, his last name is Campagno. And if you if you're familiar with uh, Fox News, there's an anchor on there called Emily Campagno, who is his niece. So next time you're in there ordering a Coast Guard, you can uh, bring up the fact that his niece is on uh, Fox News. But we're going to be listening to her talk about California. And I think it's kind of an interesting bit of national feedback and what, what people think of California. And I'd be interested in, to see what Dan or Mark, if they disagree, agree, or if they have any, uh, any additional things they'd like to add to this. So let's listen to Emily for a second. Can I focus for, for a moment just on what you said in the intro about California? Because no. I, oh, please. Okay. I'm, just a quick second. Yeah. Because I'm deathly afraid of the inevitable Gavin Newsom machine that's going to replace mm-hmm. the Crypt Keeper. Yeah. And I want us all to be to understand what that looks like. So California is facing a $68 billion deficit. That's what you said. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind that their largest expenditure is health and human services. Mm-hmm. That's almost a billion dollars. Under that, what do you think falls under that? The Medicare mm-hmm. and all of the, the what they're now extending to illegal immigrants. Mm-hmm. And you contrast that, only, three, only 15% of Californians can afford homes. Three million Californians cannot afford the internet. Mm -hmm. And yet we have someone at the helm there who tells us it's about care, not cash. Mm -hmm. And it's about amplifying and lifting up black and brown people who are the ones being totally pushed out of that Medicare system in the state of California. The ass backwards existence of that state and it being deteriorated into the deteriorated into the toxic cesspool that it is, is because of him. Mm. So we all have to watch out. Lock I like it. Doors. I like it when you do. So that uh, actually, uh, Greg Gutfeld was about to make a uh, somewhat sexist comment about her arms because she's got <laughs> very, very strong arms, but she's also brilliant. So I don't know. What do you, uh, Dan? What do you think about those comments? Are those spot on, or do you think that she's a little bit uh, hyper, hyperbolic in that? Well, what cracks me up about her is how fast she talks. She's a former cheerleader, but then got a, became an attorney, and I believe spent a lot of time um, uh, uh, representing people that were already imprisoned. You know, trying to help them out and stuff. So she's really oh yeah, she does a crime person. podcast. 
she does a crime podcast on the side. She's yeah. she's incredibly yeah. smart. She's she's incredibly smart, and and I'll be my own sexist person. She is very very attractive and beautiful. So she's got she's a, embarrassment of riches. But what yeah, I, focusing on yeah, what she's doing. I will not disagree with that. But I, I think pretty much everything she said is, is right on. And anybody, you know, you, you got when somebody has the experience. See, Donald Trump went in, and we had no idea what to expect. I had I'll speak for myself. I had no idea what to expect or expect that outside of that he was going to Twitter and he was going to steam a bunch of people. So, uh, but Gavin Newsom, we've watched this clown for eight years and all you got to do is go back up to maybe a year, year and a half when the recall was on and all of a sudden, Oh, we got an embarrassment of riches. So I'm going to send a check to everybody in California right before the recall. Now there's $60 billion in the red for this coming year. You know, and everybody that makes money is leaving California in droves. And anybody that looks at Gavin Newsom as a step up from Joe Biden, I think at the, at the most we're like, you know, giving up something and losing something and gaining something while we're losing something else kind of thing. I, it's just, and, and again, it's not, this isn't a position on Trump, this is a position on, on Gavin Newsom. The Dems aren't doing themselves any favor. They're not getting anybody to go up against Trump that makes any kind of sense whatsoever. And they've had four years to do it. And it also, and, in, in local California news, and this, I'll be interested to see what Mark thinks too, is Kamala Harris had a horrible record. Xavier Becerra, who is our also a attorney's general here, horrible record. And I would argue, I mean, some people, I get a lot of pushback when I say this in public, because I think Adam Schiff is just, I think he's morally bankrupt as a human oh, yeah. being. And, oh, and people, people, I've run into a lot of people who really like him. And I don't, know, I don't know if your record, I don't know if your record even matters <laughs> at this point, Dan, is what my point was. What do you, I don't know, Mark, what do you think? I'll tell you, if, if I can, just for a second, then I'll see to Mark. I think the problem literally is when you focus your views on just CNN or MSNBC and you don't take some time to look at the other channels and vice versa, you get one point of view. There are people, I absolutely swear to you, I run into these people on a regular basis that have no idea there's hordes of people coming across the southern border. No idea whatsoever, because all they ever watch for their news is CNN and MSNBC. So that can, if that's all you watch, then you're going to think Gavin Newsom's wonderful. You're going to think Joe Biden doesn't, you know, trip up and you know, gobbledygook and everything else. That Kamala Harris is wonderful. So if you only get one perspective, we got a serious problem, and that's what's happening with most things right now. And I guarantee you, since you just touched on a little bit in this, the people coming across the border, and again, no racial thing intended whatsoever, because they're coming across the northern border now too. You've got to start stepping back and going, what is this going to do to the Monterey Peninsula, to the county, to the state? It's going to affect all of us because you're going to have to start spending so much money, they already are, on migrant services and everybody else is getting screwed. That's a great point. And I recall uh, a number of years ago uh, on, on the uh, morning talk show that we did, um, 
talking with people about this problem in California. And what was really interesting to note was that uh, the overcrowding in our state penal system was due entirely to the incarceration of illegal aliens. If you were to, if you didn't have any illegal aliens at all and you backed them all out of the system, there would be more than enough room in our county jails and our state prisons in California for all the prisoners that we have, native-born prisoners, and they wouldn't have the budgetary problems that they have and a number of the other issues. And the moral bankruptcy of people on the left is um, the unwillingness to acknowledge this as a fact that there are tremendous costs to illegal immigration and that whatever benefits we supposedly get from it are either equaled or wiped away by the uh, by the tremendous cost on the public uh, tax rolls that these people uh, are, are causing and particularly those who are incarcerated so yeah and and, and okay so I love all those points. So now we think about the the sixty eight billion dollar whatever it is deficit that we have, and then there are Proposition One. If you guys have read your ballots, Proposition One's once another. It's like sixty billion dollars for homelessness. And to uh, Emily Campagno's point, like tons of people can't afford broadband. So the solution locally is Jimmy Panetta has suggested. So this tie, I'm bringing it at home, boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, this ties to. Um, the folks in Big Sur, because they are classically, they do not have broadband internet, and they it's really hard to get. They don't have any fact, internet drip, for the most yeah, part. Yeah, if you drive down there, you don't even self service. So, so they've got a, like it's really hard to function down there. And I, and and so what Jimmy Panetta is suggesting is that the taxpayers should subsidize subsidize broadband for the folks who live in Big Sur. There's probably going to be some pushback because the average, I don't know what the average net worth of the person who lives in Big Sur is, but there's a lot of rich people. There are some poor people that live down there, but but what are you guys' thoughts on this proposal? Well, there's a lot of rich people that own second homes in Big Sur. They don't, they're not necessarily the permanent population, uh, but having some experience in uh, traversing uh, the Big Sur area, doing surveys of uh, homeowners there, I find that uh, the most exclusive homes Uh, in the most uh, inaccessible places like up on Coast Ridge and Pfeiffer Ridge and so forth are owned by people who live outside of Big Sur. They're owned by people from Silicon Valley, from across the country, uh, other places in the world. And yeah, those are people that are very well healed, but they might come to those homes maybe once a year for a few weeks, and the rest of the time, the homes are empty. Now, they're generating tax revenue to the county and the state, but as far as people being there, they're going to get in their four-wheel drive and, and drive down to the Big Sur store and buy things and so forth. Uh, that, that's maybe one month a year, whenever those folks are there. So, uh, yeah. But the vast majority of folks living down there um, are just you know average working people making whatever you know the median wage is in Monterey County and uh, and the problem for Pac Bell or not Pac Bell AT&T since that's their name or Comcast or any of those companies to provide a better cellular service and internet service there is it's it's the old ROI the return on investment uh, the sheer cost of 
putting in all of the antennas and 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 you know having to and remember this is the coastal zone so you have to deal with the california coastal commission and all their i have an idea mark yeah Uh, while you're talking i I have this idea that maybe i'd I'd like you to consider because our good friend uh, elon musk who everybody hates has this uh you know he shoots rockets into the space and he's invented this thing called starlink wouldn't that could that possibly be an economic solution to this? I realize well, that, some of them, like that Colorado, actually, Colorado, they're you know, in the redwoods, but you could probably figure something out. I don't know. Go ahead. Well, that's a great point, and that might actually be what they ought to do, uh, because the idea of of just you know running well, for example, for fiber optic, you have to run wires on poles, just like you did for telephones and and PG&E power and so forth. So. There's a, there's a tremendous cost to do that. And then, of course, during the storms, those poles fall over and then they have to be righted. Maybe the, the smarter thing to do would, you know, Jimmy Panetta would say, well, you know, everybody that wants Internet, then we're going to subsidize to a particular level the monthly cost of uh, the Elon Musk satellite Internet service, which I will tell you is a very good Internet service. Uh, friends of mine that have a a home out in Carmel Valley, out in Hitchcock Canyon, which is a very remote place where you don't have cellular service. They have the Elon Musk Spacelink Internet, and they have uh, speeds, download speeds, uh, slightly in, in excess of 100 megabits per second. And on the upload side, they can be 75 to 80, which is really good. So that may be a real solution and it might end up costing the taxpayers a lot less money to put one of those uh, antennas on someone's roof with uh, with the download equipment and say okay uh, you know what were you paying or what would you be able to pay is it 50 75 dollars a month okay then that's what you pay and the rest of it is picked up by uh, you know Jimmy Panetta and uh, and his next big uh, expenditure is going to do that. that. That may be one way of it. It might be cheaper to do that than to go in and subsidize miles of, uh, of fiber optic wiring all throughout the Big Sur Valley and dealing with uh, whatever permitting is required and uh, regulatory hoops from the California Coastal Commission. Yeah, exactly. if I may, uh, a little bit different take on this probably in, in my privileged life. Uh, you choose where you live. Mm-hmm. And if you choose to live somewhere where there's an internet, do I need to subsidize that? Just like I always say about people living in Pacific Grove or on the Monterey Peninsula in general, you can live much cheaper in Fresno, Bakersfield, Atwater, whatever, than you can here. You know, so, but you decide you want to live here and you stake out your piece of the sand at Del Monte Beach. You're the guy who uh, we've probably all seen on Del Monte Boulevard there uh, by uh, 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 the Naval Post Graduate School that for years uh, spends the day and the night sometimes, I think all the time, on that bench there. And now he's trekked across the street and but anyway, Dan, I don't so disagree with you. Decide where you want to live. Right. Yeah, I want to live here. Yeah. You know, if I'm going to be homeless, I want to live here. But you know what? Don't create a problem for everybody else and don't come at a cost to everybody else. Right. You know, if you want to live in Bakersfield and be a little subsidized, okay. But if you want to come into the Monterey Peninsula and be subsidized a whole lot, 
And when you do nothing but complain that you can't afford to live here, find a place you can afford to live. You can't afford to buy a house. I know people that have moved to North Carolina and bought houses for $35,000 and are content. Mm. You know, so I, I'm not sure where it is the, the disconnect that all of a sudden we've become our brother's keeper. You know, that we've, if you've, you know, made bad decisions in life. Yeah, I always said, you know, I made some screwy decisions. If I end up living underneath a bridge, then that's my responsibility. Right. You know, so decisions I made in my life. So if you decide to live in the hills of Big Sur, whether it's first house, second house, third house, or whatever, you know. I mean, my brother for a while, for a couple of years, lived with a buddy of his. They lived up on, on what now is uh, one of the Indian own properties up there and they were kind of the caretakers and they had a little cabin up there but no running water no nothing and they chose to live up there and back then there were no cell phones there was you know no starlink and somehow they survived right. you know so if you're going to make if the proverbial you make your bed lie in it so if you somewhere maybe the first thing you should check if you're tied to the internet is if there's internet if there's cable if there's running water, if there's electricity, you know, whatever. And But for everybody else to take their tax dollars and now have to subsidize your living at the cost of us, because every one of the tax dollars that comes out of our pockets to help you takes away some bit of little luxury or extra in, in my life. And this just needs to stop. Right. Dan, so I, Dan I feel the same. Being entitled. Okay. Let's leave it at that. Okay. Being entitled. Dan, I, feel, I agree with you 100%, but the problem is they don't care. They're going to spend the money. They are going to do this. There, There is at no point Jimmy Panetta is going to stand up and say what you said and say, I'm not going to vote for this. He's going to do it. So it now becomes down to um, how can how do we end up getting this done to where it's uh, it, it doesn't bankrupt us so much. We're already bankrupt. But can we do this? Can, you know, if, if we're going to have to do this, can we do this in a way that isn't going to break the bank? And so Mark, no. Mark's argument is it's already smelling like a cesspool. Let's try to minimize the stench. Well, they're they're going to do it anyway. They're, they're, hey, hey, if I if I may, Dan, I think I think we should do it. That's why, because if if Internet is a right then so is my ability to get the government to pay for my plastic surgery so I can look like a young Brad Pitt. So yeah. it's really a short distance between the Internet and me looking like Brad Pitt, if you get what I'm saying. You follow my logic here? Uh, so going to subsidize all of it, man. I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I'm really sexist, this program. I, I, I First I said that Emily Campagna was attractive, and now I want to look like Brad Pitt. I'm coming off as some sort of shallow, uh, you know, completely uh, vain person. I apologize. Well, it, it is what you are, so, you know, <laughs> wow. don't apologize for what you are, Paul. <laughs> well, let, let's shift gears. I don't know if you guys will have too many thoughts on this because it is it is kind of wonky. Like, it really is. It's a uh, it's an issue that only policy wonks in Monterey County probably care about. But um, it is very, very important. Sometimes these, like, little procedural things are crazy important. But uh, on in this week's Pinecone, there was an article by Kelly Nix, our beloved Kelly Nix, um, there's a cover article, actually. It's right on the front page. LAFCO appeals ruling on water district takeover. So um, it's very interesting because that is, uh, you know, 
the the water district is trying to take it over from Calam, but this the LAFCO, which Mark can explain what those are, um, is trying to get in the way. So can you kind of uh, make sense of this, Mark? It's LAFCO is Local Agency Formation uh, Commission. And they they are the ones that are supposed to do the due diligence when like a, a community comes to them and says, we want to be incorporated. This happened with Carmel Valley a few years ago. The pe- there was a group of people in Carmel Valley that wanted to incorporate a Carmel Valley city. I think it, their idea was that it would basically start around the Carmel Rancho Shopping Center and run all the way through the valley to um, almost to Keshawa Road or something stupid like that, which would make it, is as far as lengthwise about what 16 miles long something like that which would be longer than any city in monterey county and lafco turned it down because the people that lived in that area the proponents could not demonstrate that the community could be self-supporting of all the types of municipal services that a, that a city has to provide, um, like what Pacific Grove or Monterey provides for its residents. And uh, for many of the unincorporated areas, the county provides these services because you just don't have enough of a critical mass of people paying taxes to support those kinds of things. So, And, and what they don't want... What the state, what's kind of where LAFCO came from, and this is a creation of, of Sacramento, and you have them in every county. But what they, they didn't want to have anymore was the establishment of communities that were not able to sustain themselves. In Monterey County, we have two communities, two incorporated cities, that for many years uh, could, could barely hold their head above uh, fiscal water. One would be Sand City, and the other was Delray Oaks. Now, Sand City solved their problems with the big shopping centers that generate a tremendous amount of, of sales tax revenue to support that town. Prior to that, though, Sand City had a tough go of it. Delray Oaks is still a community that is nip and tuck, and about every 10 years, the voters... They have to go to the voters there and ask them to approve an extension of a utility tax that keeps the city solvent because uh, it's it's like primarily a residential city with very little retail or anything going on that generates uh, you know sales tax revenue in that community. So the idea behind these LAFCO uh, committees was to protect the public pocketbook to uh, ensure that establishment. Of, um, of new cities, uh, they were sustainable. And then when you get into things like a government agency wants to buy a private business, which is what Cal-Am is, uh, can they do that and run it properly and not have it be a burden on the ratepayers? So LAFCO has the ability to look at this, to crunch the numbers and say, um, you know, whether they believe it would be, uh, you know, sustainable for the ratepayers or not. And uh, and they concluded that it wouldn't be sustainable. And I think what got LAFCO into a little bit of trouble was that a couple of the uh, board members of LAFCO uh, basically gave philosophical uh, reasons for opposing the um, the public takeover of Cal-Am. I think Matt Gorley was one, and I'm trying to remember who the other person was, but they said that, uh, you know, philosophically, government doesn't run things very well, which is true, and I'm opposed to, you know, government taking over private enterprise. So uh, that, you know, in, in a lot of places in America, you could make that comment, and people would say, yeah, you know, that's a 
perfectly reasonable uh, opinion in a in a place like California, full of uh, loony lemmings of the left, to say anything against government control of society is, uh, you know, you're a heretic, and so you know that got all the, you know, the big kerfuffle of the lefties that want to take over the water system on the peninsula, got them all up in arms, and that's kind of where this this lawsuit has uh, has come from, and whether or not is is that essentially it, Dan? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that that's a good summing up. I I watched some of those, and you want to talk about snooze fests, but almost none of them, Mark, brought up the finances of it. It was all self-serving from the the mayor of Salinas that was there representing the ag people to Gorley, who's a business person. But you also, there's so many uh, representative of different government, you know, entities on there that, you know, this is a tough one because you never know what's good. You know, be careful what you ask for. You just might get it kind of thing. You know, we've got the highest water in the country kind of thing. Okay, we've got the highest water. How much higher is it going to go if we stay with with Calam, which we know it'll go up every year, as opposed to going county? You know, we did the energy with, with a group like this, you know, it was put together by all the cities, and let's get rid of PG&E giving us energy. And everybody's complaining about their bills going up, and especially since, you know, with, with the storms and stuff, all our electricity's off, darn that PG&E. Well, you know, there's an entity that almost everybody forgets that now generates our energy that's not PG&E. PG&E is responsible for the transmission. And when you look at your PG, latest PG&E bills, Almost everybody I talked to says they've skyrocketed. Mine went up, but you know who knows? The weather was cold, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but uh, the, the whole water thing's a tough one. You know, okay, you know, from not Bill, you know, Callahan never took care of those dams. You know, that's why we had to take one down. You know, it filled up with silt. Well, why the hell weren't they taking care of the dams? So it's kind of six of one half dozen of the other. I don't think Cal Am's been a good steward, mm-hmm. uh, but what this entity, because I'm like you are, you know, there's, I, I say to people all the time, take your city, take your county, take your state, take your federal government. Tell me, which one of those groups do you feel is doing the job they should be doing as opposed to the job they are doing? Right. And nobody can say, oh, you know, the county's doing real good. Or, hey, my city's doing real good, or my state's doing good, or my... Fa-. So sooner or later, there's going to be a tipping point, and I think oh, these 10 million people coming over the southern border might be it, where people go, you know what? The Dems are blind, right. or the Republicans aren't doing the job. And if there was ever a time for a third party that had some sanity do it, like just plain common sense, now would be the time. We're not probably not going to see it. Right. But... Um, and, and the next thing we're going to talk about just shows more absurdity that it's not just city government, it's school board government, <laughs> right. which I've been talking about lately, really too. Hick- and here's one more example we're going to talk about. People, especially in Pacific Grove, you better start waking up and waking up fast. Well, and- what, what, uh, real quick as a coda to what Dan was saying before we talk about the dispute over multi-million dollar PGUSD renovation project is... What bothers me a little bit about the th- the whole thing is it's I'm not Nostradamus, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to predict three things. Jimmy Panetta is going to be our next congressman. 
Kate Daniels will represent District Five, and Adam Schiff will be the new Congress or a uh, state senator. Okay, those those are obvious facts. And it's like, so why even have an election at this point? That's what really bothers me. And there, because it's so, because the supermajority is so overwhelming, there's no constructive debate outside of our microscopic little podcast. Right. Uh, anyway, go ahead, Mark. Oh, I was about the water thing. Uh, Dan mentioned, you know, that the dams were allowed to silt up and had to be taken out. Well. Part of that was a self-fulfilling prophecy. I can remember, and maybe Dan, you can remember this as well, that um, you know, going back to like the 1980s, there was a big debate about being able to unsilt the dams and how their capacity had been re- reduced tremendously. And I remember that Calam wanted to get the silt out of the dam. Well, it, the the anti-water people. The people that have been working for decades to uh, strangle the supply of water on the Monterey Peninsula, they immediately, re- you know, they realize that if Cal-Am can unsilt the dam and it can hold 4,000 acre feet instead of like 1,500, that allows the storage of water and, oh my God, there might be more growth or somebody might get an extra bathroom and we don't like that. So they immediately go to court to stop the removal of the silt on environmental grounds that truckload after truckload of these big dump trucks full of silt traveling over Cushawa Road and Carmel Valley Road out to wherever they were going to dump this stuff is going to be an environmental hazard and it can't happen. Well, that was done entirely to strangle the water supply of the dam and then to create the pretext to then go to state regulators and say, this dam is no good, it's full of silt, and, uh, and, and it should be closed down. And voila, what, what happens? The dam gets closed down and taken out. So I, Here's an idea, Mark. Oh, go ahead, Mark. I and, and then the idea. last thing is, one of the other interesting things about this, this water battle is, why are so many of the people involved in the organization that, you know, that want public water and are writing letters to the editors of all the newspapers, why the hell do they live in Marina? They have no dog in this fight. <laughs> Marina has its own water company called Marina uh-huh. County Water. So what the hell are these people from Marina so interested in Monterey's water supply? Is it, well, it's the desal plant, right? Is that... It, no, well, that has nothing to... Intrusion, too. But, no. but that is... The, the, the desal plant is not part of this discussion. I'm just talking about the public ownership of the water system. It doesn't have anything to do with the desal plant because it looks like there might be a desal plant or not, but that isn't the, their focus. Like, why are people in Marina so interested about the, the rest of the peninsula's water? Well, That's well, an unnatural well, interest. My, my, ne- my naive thought was that if public ownership of the of the water system would make it easier to kill the desal plant. I might be a little bit, maybe I'm playing 3D chess with my thought, but hear this. You know, I always... Like last week, I came up with the absurd idea, instead of building rails, why don't we widen the highways? And then when self-driving cars become fully mature, then we just cut off one lane and we make a closed loop so that the cars could form an effective train that you could be in your own little capsule in your self-driving car. Well, I have a similar solution to the water problem because if you ever talk to a historian of Monterey County, they'll say, oh, the, the whole bay used to be full of salmon, right? And the reason that we don't have salmon anymore in the bay is because of dams, right? It's because... Obviously, salmon have trouble spawning when they can't get by up the rivers or whatever. And 
if you really cared about nature and you wanted to, and you care about carbon emissions and stuff, ask me this. Why couldn't we then build a couple nuclear power plants, maybe one not necessarily on a, on a, a fault line, like on the coastal zone? Maybe it could be out near, near Hollister if there's enough water to cool the thing or out by the lake that I can't pronounce the name, Lake Nascimento, I think. Yeah, that's Nascimento. Um, and, and if you did that, if you had these nuclear power plants, you'd have plenty of power to power a desal plant. And if you have tons of desal, you can do the saltwater intrusion project and you'd have plenty for the peninsula. And even if you didn't want to build the desal plant, guess what else you could do? You could build a giant pipeline from that same lake that I can't pronounce, Nascimento, over to the peninsula or some water-rich place like Northern California or Oregon and then build the pipeline. I think that was one of Mark's idea. But what we're really needing here is power, clean, green power, like nuclear power or, or possibly geothermal. But all of it is... The the left just hates all of that. They hate nuclear power and they hate growth. And it's well, they're just... starting to like it now because everything else is so polluting. So now, <laughs> it's like, well, the lesser of evil seems to be nuclear power. We haven't we haven't had a nuclear accident in America uh, where you have properly run nuclear power plants. You know, the Navy operates. Probably shouldn't bring this up in public, but they operate over 100 nuclear power plants every day all over the world. They're called yep. submarines and nuclear power uh, operated um, surface warfare ships. The um, the aircraft carriers. And they, and they can do it. If they can run freaking nuclear power plants manned by 19 and, and 20 or 18 and 19 year olds running the thing, I'm pretty sure we could figure this out, guys. So my, my nephew was on one of those for I, when I was years. that age. He I was on one now, as well. But yeah. uh, and, he glows so, green in the dark. It's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> but if you can teach, if you can teach a high, high school educated 19 year old to do a very competent job, those guys are heroes. It's, you know, why can't we do this? It's, anyway. I've said too much. I'm sorry for the aside. Everybody's now tuned out. But anyway, let's talk about. Um, I know this is going to be big with Dan. Um, they want to spend a multi-million dollars on a PGUSD renovation project. What oh. is the scope of this project, Dan? And why should or shouldn't we do it? Or should we just okay. build traffic circles all around the school? Go ahead. Yeah. So if there's somebody you don't want to entrust your money to, it's school districts. Oh boy. Uh, you know it's. So I was on the Major D Oversight Committee, and I resigned because they came. What it is is they they say, "Oh, we're going to have this oversight committee." It's an aftersight committee. So what happens is you this thing comes up and says, "We're going to fix this and this." The money's going to go to this and this and this. They establish a committee that then looks at things after they're done. So in the case of Pacific Grove, for instance, they built. Just a little bit of history here, pretty quick. They built the uh, football stadium like we're in Texas or something. They can barely feel the team, for goodness sake, but they got a stadium it's, now. That looks hey, like we, have more, we have more seating at that stadium than they do it in Carmel. It's just kind of amazing. Yeah, and, but what's ridiculous is we already, less than 10 years later, they were already spending over a million dollars replacing the field and the track. The people they had that they contracted for it ended up with, I think it was six and a half million dollars out of the bond money. So I'm sitting in this meeting with all these other community-minded people, and I say, this is insane. What are we doing spending six and a half million dollars on this football stadium when everything where these kids are all day long is are falling apart? And I said, if we ever had put in the original thing that six and a half million bucks of this was going to go to 
this football stadium. I said I never would have passed, and there was a lady there who had been part of getting it passed, you know, pushing it through kind of thing. And the words out of her mouth after I said that were, that's why we didn't put it in the, in the uh, you know, in the argument. And literally a person, an administrator next to her, kicked her in the shin. I actually watched him kick her in the shin. So it's like, you know, they're very selective. It's so broad what they're going to do that they can do just about anything. So that gets us to present day. So now the city, the, the school board has just okayed five, the actual figure, five million six hundred and sixty-six thousand dollars four hundred six hundred sixty-eight thousand four hundred and eighty-five dollars for energy services. So basically it's weather stripping, probably maybe double painting some windows. They're saying they're gonna put the little broom things at the base of of doors and they have a bunch of boilers that are breaking down and so all the kids are freezing cold. I have never had, I've got three kids in PG schools right now. I have never had one of them come home and say, boy, dad, it was freezing in class today. Not one of them ever. Well, so, well, but with now, the, with, the uh, with with in fairness uh, to they did vote three to two, so it was a closely fought uh, it, thing. It but, but they are getting they are getting HVAC and some lighting and some LED lighting and HVAC. Sure. Take it from me, who's done a lot of uh, industrial HVAC systems. They are not cheap. So, yeah. so they're, they're not cheap. But here's here's the kicker on all this, and now it's become a story. Not to interrupt you, Paul, but it, and I don't dismiss what you're saying. Why it's become a story is they didn't bid it out. And they already have someone saying, we could do it for 10% less. Well, that's a lot of money when you're talking about $5,666,000. It's kind of interesting that 666 is in the middle of this. But uh, at some point in time, and it should be right now, people should be marching on that school board and saying, what the heck are you talking about? Of everything that needs to be done in this district now, great that it's going to be energy efficient. We're going to save $368,000 a year, supposedly. So in about 15 years, it'll pay pay back what this is here. But maybe, maybe. but Dan, Dan, you, you know all the history. In 2020, there was a $30 million bond for the school district. What was that money used for? Yeah, and I don't, I, I actually don't think that's the correct year. Uh, Kelly usually gets his stuff right, and I'm probably wrong because I'm going by memory. Major D, unless there was a second Major D, Major D was much longer ago than that. So, uh, so all the time, it's like they have one, and it's mentioned in there for technology. And uh, that a bond that had been done. All that technology is basically history. You know how technology goes. Well, let's buy every kid a friggin' uh, Chrome, uh, you know, Google Chrome laptop. You know, and and have it every kid covered with that. Well, a few years later, it's no longer covered. You know, it's the technology starts outpacing what they what they buy, and. But let's just, for a second, stick to this one. And I know I'm all over the place on this, but let's stick to this one. You can actually see my my home in that picture you just had up there, Paul. Oh, but this this was uh, the Measure D thing right here, so it kind of uh, includes. Yeah. So okay. So there was another one. So they keep doing these bond measures, and then you can see them on your property taxes. 
And it's like, okay, so here's this asbestos-ridden stuff at, that was I just saw on our screen, which is down at the old Lighthouse School. I think they've actually boarded up that building now. That's how it, yeah, I'll read, I'll read it. It says, Measure D will generate $30 million to address the aging facilities district-wide, the bond, and that's district-wide of PGUSD. The bond is projected to be sold in four, in four series over the next 10 years. District maintains 320,000 square feet of buildings, 165 classrooms, and 85 acres of grounds. Many core infrastructure systems have outlived their expected life cycles. The district has continued to address preventative maintenance as much as possible. However, many systems can no longer be repaired and need to be replaced. And if it's being sold in four series, that means whatever, with four or 30,000 divided by four is about seven million and seven and a half million or whatever. Yeah. Why? Isn't that seven and a half million being used for this HVAC and energy stuff? Why do we need another six million when I don't know if all these bonds have been sold yet? Well, and they never catch up. You know, it's like, okay, now we're going to do this, and then next year it's going to be something else, and the next year it's going to be something else, and then it's going to be asking for more money. And all I'm saying is, let's the central problem. You know what the central problem is here, uh, which no one wants to hear, Dan? Is that school is too f and big? The the high school, the high school is. Oh, for how many students two, there? That was. When I was there, there were almost three times, definitely twice as many students. There were. It's designed for a, over two thousand students. There are about four hundred there right now. I think. Well, we had about twelve, eleven, twelve hundred when I was there. Well, I don't, he asked someone the other day. There's like six hundred there now. I, I think it's. I think it's even lower than that. I think four hundred. Half as big. Well, why wouldn't well, they actually have talked to a teacher? And it's happens. They can't. They have trouble even. Last year, they couldn't even put together a one golf team. And when I was there, they, they had they, a varsity junior, varsity freshman. You know, they could they could consider mothballing some of the facilities. I'm just saying. Well, and we have two schools that that we one we went out to a charter school, and the other one's the adult school. And when I was going to school there, the adult school met at the high school at night. You know, they didn't have a separate school. That was an elementary school. So they're close to elementary schools because of lack of kids, because nobody can afford, with a family, can afford to live here anymore. And uh, and so they're close to schools. They're worth an absolute fortune, the land and where they are. And they just sit there being used by, like I say, a charter school and the adult school. There's, you know, they got a community garden on one, for God's sake. You know, it's like right where it would be a great place for pickleball courts. Hey, I'm I'm getting up there. I'm going to be able to join AARP here shortly, and I want a place to uh, do my watercolors, my friend. So, uh. but see, but again, <laughs> return on investment is, I think, Martin, one of you brought up earlier. What what are we investing in? Is you know, and should the city be doing this? The city just got a whole lot of money to their rec department. I believe it was 150, 160 thousand dollars more in their budget. To provide more programs, that was at the end of June, the end of the fiscal year. So now we've got about six, seven months later, they've come up with nothing, nothing, nothing. <laughs> you know, so it's like at what point in time does this city council in Pacific Grove and other cities, I'm sure it's the same, but I know Pacific Grove, what time do you say, excuse me, Mr. Deputy City Manager, Dan Go, Miss, Miss uh, Kristen Clark, that's the head of recreation. At what time are you going to come to us with, and institute more programs? Instead, they just had a week off in schools in Pacific Grove. The, the youth center closes down except for 20 kids that sign up for a program. Otherwise, 
every other kid in the city, and there's probably a th at least a thousand, all those kids couldn't go to the youth center because 20 kids were using it basically as babysitting service during the week-long break. You know, the mismanagement, the idiocy that goes on, the marginalizing of high schoolers in this community is, at, and, and the elderly for, for all intents and purposes, is absolutely unacceptable. And when I say elderly, I'm 68 now. When I say elderly, I'm talking, you know, people in their 70s, 80s that, you know, need to get out and about and have something to do that they don't get hurt doing. So it's just it's just pretty sad what, uh, again, you know, tell me who it is. I, you know what? The, probably the only, and there's probably problems there too, but uh, Monterey Peninsula Unified School District, with uh, P.K. Diffenbaugh, what a great administrator. What a great administrator. And Monterey Peninsula College, I don't know the new president or how good he is, ins and outs of him, but they have uh, little, uh, you know, vice presidents and stuff that are just phenomenal. But I'll tell you what, PG School District, and again, we got new administrators, so I'm not going to go after them, but the school board, uh, to the two people that were on the right side saying, hey, we should have bid this out. Actually, I disagree with the whole lot that they usually say. But I'll give them credit on this one. It's like, hey, you know, if it'll save us a half a million dollars, maybe we'll get that stuff down at Robert Downs School that they've been promising um, ever since my kids have been going there. And that's the past uh, nine years. Hey, Dan, what would you think of, uh, and th this is my idea, why not... Um, combine the high school and junior high at the high school site. You know, and, and you probably have like 800 students, which would be a better use of that facility. Because I think PG is really getting close to the point where the city, it's, it, they can't sustain a unified school district. And they may really need to look at a merger, either merging with Monterey Peninsula Unified or Carmel Unified. But when you look at the, the small physical footprint of the PG school district, the continuing declining enrollment, and nowhere else to get students, at what point do they you know, have to face the facts and say, we're just too small of a district to uh, sustain ourselves anymore? Because this also gets into the inability to provide a full curriculum for kids, particularly in high school for advanced classes and all oh. that, because you just don't have the bodies. You just don't have butts and seats that allow you to have those types of programs. So at what point do you say, we need to wave the white flag and say it's over? I, yeah, I, Mark, I agree with you. Uh, but I also think, um, I hate to be a crazy tinfoil hat right winger, but vouchers are extraordinarily wise to do because vouchers would do two things in our community. They would lower home prices because there would no longer be a huge incentive to live in premier school districts. And, and secondly, it could rejuvenate the PG school and get that facility filled up with kids because then kids from outside the district that are in crappy schools could come here. And, it doesn't and work that easily, Paul, because the school district they're in has to let them out. You know, if you yeah, if you well, want to get a, to, yeah, if, the voucher system would have to be designed to let let people go wherever the hell they want it, right? Well, but it's not going to work that way 
And the, the yeah, teachers, you're right, you're right, the teachers unions run education policy in this state, and they are not going to let kids out of Monterey Peninsula Unified to go to Pacific Grove or or vice versa. Mark, it's, haven't you learned this about me? I'm talking about nuclear power plants to solve our water okay, issue. You're, you're, I, I, I'm Don Quixote. Like you're the Don yeah, Quixote of Pacific <laughs> Grove. I know I am. You're right, Mark. I, you know, Mark, I agree with you 100%. You are absolutely right. I'm just, I just sit back and go, well, you're insane. Like, because there are solutions to these problems, but they, but as you point out, they would never work. And I, I 100% agree with you. I, I can't fault you. Uh, at all for your argument because it's not my my position is not practical i just see him doing vouchers in other places and it's working it works great in like arizona and it's worked in florida and i think they're even going to start doing it in tennessee now but anyway go ahead dan I, personally I, th I think there should be something like that yesterday i, I uh, uh my son's on the the golf team and they went out and they were playing uh, little peter hay out in pebble beach and the drive past Robert Louis Stevenson's school and say to my son, that's what $45,000 a year tuition gets you. But on the other hand, if you start looking at how much it costs for each kid in public school, I don't know what it is at Pacific Grove. All I know is we have some of the highest paid teachers there are, period. Well, let's Pacific not, Grove, yeah. Carmel. And let's you not know? forget that, that Carmel and PG school districts are basic aid districts that get their funding from the, the assessed value of property in the communities as opposed to Monterey Peninsula or Salinas Union High School yep. District, which are average daily attendance school yep. districts. So in Pacific Grove, they get the same amount of money whether they have 500 kids in the high school or 1,000. That's that's something that people really don't understand is the, the basic. That age, is fascinating. Yeah, what Mark is talking about right now, I'd encourage the listeners to do a deep dive on that because how mm -hmm. schools? I think Carmel and Monterey, I mean uh, Carmel and uh, Pacific Grove are the only two in the entire county. No, that don't uh, get Solid Ed Mission, Solid Ed Mission, okay. which is a one school district, and I think Graves, which is a one school district. There's a few one one room schools. Mm -hmm in rural parts of Monterey County that are basic aid districts, but uh, the vast majority are ADA. Basic aid uh, was the contraption for funding school districts before the invention of ADA. And at one point, schools had a choice to, well, do you want to be an ADA district or do you want to be basic aid? And a lot of schools stuck with basic aid. If you're Carmel or Pacific Grove, based on the ever-increasing property values for commercial and residential property in the community, being a basic aid district is a great thing because I can remember before the before Sacramento uh, did some uh, you know tomfoolery with the budget to increase the ADA monies for districts like Monterey. I can remember reading something like ten fifteen years ago, Monterey an ADA district like Monterey or Salinas was spending about five thousand dollars per student per year. Pacific Grove was around $10,000 per student, and Carmel was at $15,000 per student. So you can, you can see the advantages in a basic aid district. In fact, I would tell you this much. PG Unified exists, only exists, because it's a basic aid district. If PG Unified had to sustain itself on ADA money, like Monterey or Salinas, right. they would have waved the white flag 20 years ago. Yep. 
I, I'd agree with that. It's, you know? It is, I, you know, schools, I mean, I could go on, on and on about school district. I, I do think uh, vouchers seem to be working in places. So it'll be interesting how that experiment goes. That's why America's beautiful, guys, is because places do, do things differently. And over time, you can see which ones turn into cesspools and which ones don't. And those that turn into cesspools breed the future leaders and uh, presidents of our society. That's it's hard to get into Robert Louis Stevenson. At well, the York school is not bad. And the York just finished their, um, their performing arts thing. So, yeah. Their Paul sounds yeah, like no, it's, it's ridiculous nothing. But, you know, again, and, and trust me, this is from somebody that looks at Pacific Grove schools, which I went through, good, bad, or indifferent. And um, uh, there's a lot of problems in yeah. Pacific Grove schools. There are. And, uh, but there's Santa Catalina, too, is very nice. Yes, oh, only, yes, it is. It's only for girls after, I think, seventh grade or eighth grade. Yeah, but... But Pacific Grove Schools, there's so many people move here saying, oh, well, here the schools are great. And I've known so many people that have moved here because of that, that their kids are now going to RLS. You know, it's <laughs> like if these schools were run, run properly, but what's happened, because during COVID, when everything was distance learning, has carried over now that you're in person. So it's sticking kids in front of computers, sticking kids... In other words, as, as what I call it is chalk never touches the blackboard anymore. Yeah. Teachers not teaching. Computers are teaching. There's no, uh, there's so little interaction. Uh, it's, it's ridiculous. And letting a parent know that your kids, you know, falling behind, they wait till like five days before the end of the semester. Like, oh, you know, little Bobby hasn't, you know, and I hear this from all sorts of parents. Hey, at one class, the, the, uh, it was like two thirds the kids were D's or F's. How, so is that the kid's problem or is it the teacher's problem? And try, try getting an administrator to do anything about it. For goodness sake, the middle school had a horrible tennis teacher. And I couldn't get him to change it from one year to the next. Hey. Like a guy couldn't find that he ever competed in a tournament in his life, and just taught it just incredibly bad. Because I could watch him; was across the street from me. I watched what he did, and uh, and and they they don't up you know up change. They never gets fired. Nobody. It's just really bad. And uh, so I don't think anybody out there that may be listening to this, that the answer to all your troubles if your kids go somewhere other than PG schools is PG schools. Right. They aren't. I have to tell you guys, I, I remember when I first moved down here, it was like 40 years ago, and I was only a few years out of high school. So, uh, you know, when you're younger, you remember things that you learned just a few years earlier. And I was shocked at the the co-workers, people that I worked with who had matriculated through Monterey and PG schools, their lack of, of basic knowledge of so many things that that I learned in my education that I thought were just fundamental that everybody would know this kind of stuff. Um, I, I benefited from attending high school in San Jose Unified School District when it was a great school district. And 
the high school we had three high schools in the district where academically uh, we were scoring in the in the 90s percentiles in the uh, standardized testing so these were some of the top academic schools in California and then I came down here and I remember seeing articles in the Monterey Herald showing where schools like Seaside Monterey and PG were in standardized testing and they were all down in the mid 50 percentiles and I said oh so this is why the kids I work with don't know shit about anything because they <laughs> went to these crappy schools in Monterey where I don't know what the hell they're learning, but they sure as heck aren't learning anything that's applicable towards critical thinking skills hey. and being able to do a job. Hey, Mark, in defense of the dimwits of the world, I went to uh, Gilpin County RE1 in beautiful Gilpin County, Colorado. I graduated with 16 other folks and, uh, I had a, a solid C average and uh, was one of only two right. that went to college. You sound class. like Roman Rushka. So <laughs> here's a little history thing awful. for you. Roman, but wait, we did, let me, we let me jump into this real quick. Roman Rushka was a, a, was a Republican senator from Nebraska, served from <laughs> like the 50s to the early 70s. Uh, very undistinguished terms in, in the U.S. Senate. But he, he did distinguish himself with a comment he made when um, uh, Richard Nixon had nominated someone for the bench, for the Supreme Court, who was a jurist of, of questionable intellect. And, uh, and I can't remember who the guy was now. He didn't get approved. He, he got voted down by the Senate, or they pulled his nomination. They brought somebody else in. But it was during the confirmation hearings, one of the uh, Democratic senators who was against this particular jurist, well, he was making the point that this guy is uh, just, you know, really kind of a mediocre intellect. There's nothing sterling about any of his opinions, and he really doesn't deserve to be on the highest court in land. And in defense of the candidate, which is almost like a backhanded compliment, Rushka said, well, you know, the mediocre people need some representation, too. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like DEI. <laughs> hey, well, I, as a mediocre person, yes, we do. And, uh, you know, in terms of uh, insulting someone's intellect, I can't remember who said it. it might have, I, I, Oh, well, um, I can't I can't exactly remember who said it, but it was they were criticizing uh kamala harris and they said um basically she's unlikely to win a nobel prize anytime soon so <laughs> i thought that was a, that was a very creative way well, i think i think we're getting to the end of our yeah we got to wrap show, it up but, here because i've got another yeah. thing i have so to i do. wanted to talk about the traffic circles on Imjin road but oh. let's just end with this next door neighborhood uh article about oh. a fellow that drives around in the tripod pickup truck and uh and i don't know someone was wondering what happened to him the blue tooth poet .net. Do, you, do you guys know anything about the uh, bluetoothpoet.com? No, I don't. I, I see the guy driving around once in a while, just like the lemonade, you know, conspiracy, John Lennon, you know, Stephen King guy. But this guy, and, and for those of you who haven't seen it, it's on next door, and somebody's complaining that this guy's parked in their neighborhood over in Seaside, I believe it is. And it's like, as... And she asked, is this something I could report if he doesn't live in the neighborhood? It's a public road. And as long as he's not living in his vehicle, which almost everywhere has, has rules against that, if he's just parking there, he's parked there. You know, he's, he's, he's a character, though, that's for sure. Yep. Well, and, and great. You know, it's like for those 
that experienced the 60s, and I know that was before you were born, Paul, but uh, <laughs> talk about a community. Pacific Grove was a community of, of, of just uh, misfits, malcontents, you name it. I mean, it was just the most interesting community you could imagine growing up in. Yep. And, you know, there were, I think, I think, there was, you know, a huge place, the Mock Grove Craft Guild that was started by Paul Law, who later gained fame for running against Clint Eastwood for mayor. And Paul had this place that I think was actually still in the military when it had it. He had it. He was really an entrepreneur. But you could go in there and buy everything made out of leather, wood, crafts. You know, every craftsperson and artiste in the world gravitated here to, to and put their stuff in there. It was really kind of uh, kind of cool. So I, they, it's still got know, a little bit of that vibe. They're different, but accepting as long as they're harmless. Well, Guys, I got to run. Thank you, right, Mark. We will see you, and please, all you provocateurs on Next Tour, keep it up because I love reading uh, <laughs> uh, feature you next week. Until next week, I'm Paul for Mark and Dan. Uh, have a great week. Go to what's the plan Monterey.com, download all our podcasts. And until next week, have a great week, Mark and Dan, and everybody listening. Uh -huh.